And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose. Welcome to episode number 81, PNR, This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, June 1st, 2015. Well, folks, the word is Scherenschnitt, which means small scissor cuts and the art of creating paper cut designs. You don't like that one? Why not choose Nun Attack, the rocky element of a ridge or mountain peak? Yes, of course, those are the two words that won this year's Scripps National Spelling Bee this week, and where for the second year in a row it was a tie. Gokul Venkatashalam and Vanya Shivashankar, whose names alone add an ironic poetic quality to the proceedings, tied and took home $35,000 in cash prizes and a huge trophy. The Spelling Bee this year also took a page out of a more relevant context by helping out the contestants with pop culture references such as Spongebob, Instagram, and of course, you gotta bring Drake to the party. When one contestant wanted the word Bacchus into the sentence, the judge said, rumor has it that Drake's next mixtape has a verse that ends with a Bacchus. Not to be outdone, folks, Joe and I are here to innovate, to perseverate our ideas frequently and to bring you the precipice of disheartenment and encourage you with an aggregate of visceral happiness, all commensurate with this week's news and content marketing particularizations. We'll have a soliloquy of pugnacious bellicosity about something we find bletcherous, or we'll have a rave about our feelings of something with an efficacious success. And we'll bring all of it to you in our usual bland eloquence. And for that, it's time for me to introduce my co-host, my friend, my colleague, and the prolocutor and potentate of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I'm sorry. You have me cracking up here. Potentate. <laughs> yeah, nothing, like potentate starting, prolocutor. nothing like starting a day with potentate. <laughs> how, are you, how are you doing? I'm doing well. And congratulations on your Cavaliers, my friend. Oh, hey. I'm super psyched, but I'm not getting overly confident because we've been here before. <laughs> that is so as, Cleveland. As we know. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> like, look, don't jinx it. We're just, you know, let's one game at a time. All that stuff. Yeah, we're we're pretty happy. So I'll get back from uh, well, whenever I get to, to Norway. I'll get back from Norway just in time to... Uh, to have a little uh, Cavaliers party, and my yes, my son's very excited. mention that you're uh, you're stranded in New York right now, <laughs> waiting for a flight to take you to Norway. Yeah, you and I were talking about it. It was a um, a eleven hour delay on my flight, uh, which it's just it's too many things to go through. <laughs> but I'm supposed to be. Yeah, we were supposed to record this at this time, but I was supposed to be in Oslo, uh, and I'm not in Oslo. I'm in at Newark, the Hilton Airport at Newark. Which is quite a bit different than Oslo, I've, I've heard. I can imagine. <laughs> well, Newark is just about different than anything. <laughs> but uh, the good news is, so I'm going to miss the morning keynote uh, in, in Oslo, but I'm, I'm, it should make it on time because I'm going through Stockholm now, and I should make it for the afternoon keynote, and then i got a workshop the next day, and then I'll make it back. So unfortunately, I miss a day of, a little, of sightseeing time and stuff, um, but, you know... The show must go on, and and, Absolutely. and you and you I have do been what there. You gotta do. Yeah, it was. Oh, Newark was crazy, and as I told you, like I got off the plane. Finally, Newark was always crazy. Finally, yeah. Fin- well, finally arrived at twelve forty-five in the morning. It was a one o'clock in the afternoon flight. Uh, so twelve forty-five in the morning, and it's a zoo because every international flight was canceled, and people are like, wow. you know, what are you gonna do? There's no, ho- you know, you've been there, right? No hotels, sure. no no cars. What are you gonna do? So, but uh, but we'll make it. We'll make it. Well, very nice. Well, shall well, you know what? 
our first story is breaking news, literally just dun, dun, happening dun. as we record this. Something I hear about some content ink thing, weird. Con- what is this thing? I know it's crazy. We we <laughs> we like to launch something new every week. So this launch of the because week, we don't have enough because we don't Joe. have enough to do. Uh, super excited about this, and you you and I have been talking about this for a while, but. The difference. So basically, my book Content Inc. comes out at Content Marketing World in September. So that's old news. But we've decided as Content Marketing Institute that this is an area, an audience area that's underserved, which are entrepreneurs, startups, and small businesses. Right. And the needs that they have around content marketing are very different than enterprises, which we, you know, which that's our audience, enterprise marketers, our audience for Content Marketing Institute. So we've launched an entire platform. Uh, we went out on uh, PR Newswire today, and uh, the resource has launched effective as of June 1st, which we're recording this. And it's basically how any startup, entrepreneur, or small business can can launch and grow their business uh, with a content-driven approach. And it goes through the six steps. And I think we're launching with, I don't know how many pieces of content, but we've already got 50-plus articles in the can on this thing. So we've been working with the, the the team. I can't say enough about Michelle Lynn oh, and the entire well, editorial on, team. Oh, outrageously talented. So you'll see as you go there, because I've got a, a, my Content Inc. podcast as well, it's all integrated. So as you go and you read an article, uh, you'll you, basically that's the transcript, and then you'll see I'll, I have a podcast as well. We're moving uh, Todd Wheatland's podcast, The Pivot, over there. We're mo- moving Andrew Davis's Claim to Fame. Uh, over there, uh, which fit really, really nicely into the Content Inc. approach and just super excited about it. So if you're a small business startup and you want to figure out how do you navigate through the uh, (laughs) perilous woods of content marketing, for you specifically, we're going to have that available. And then that'll just ramp up. The the perilous woods? I'm trying to to keep up. Putting a little FUD into the matter. I'm trying to keep up with your potentate. (laughs) <laughs> is what I'm, I'm trying to do. But anyways, so we've also announced that um, Content Inc. will have its own event. So it's the day after Content Marketing World. So super excited about that. You can just sign up for that as well as you can go to Content Marketing World and then sign up. We've got a great lineup for that one. And uh, I'm just excited about the approach. And I think it's a different way to launch a book as well because we're launching an entire platform around it than just saying, hey, here's the book. Go ahead. Uh, it's, and I would. It's really. I mean, I've had. You know, obviously, I've had a little preview of this stuff, so it's. I, I can attest how great it really is. I mean, it's just. It's just so needed and such a perfect fit for for what we're seeing and from startups and from from smaller businesses. It's just a. It's just a great, great, great project. And it's fun. It's. Oh, I mean, yeah. we we get the opportunity because. <laughs> We're not a big, you know, we're not a huge uh, political organization here. And and you and I come up with crazy ideas all the time. And the team is like, yeah, sure. Well, that's good. Let's do it. And this was one of them. Well, it, that's what they tell us anyway. That's what they, yeah, they're like, they leave yeah. the meeting and they're like, oh, they go, Joe and Robert. Uh, yeah, that's I can't stand it. <laughs> Another one. Uh, so anyways, look for that. Content Marketing Institute slash content dash inc. Or then if you go to any CMI article, you can just click right on the top. You'll see Content Inc. on, on the top of every page. Just click on nice. it and you'll see it. Nice. All right. Well, we had uh, quite a bit of news this week and probably the biggest uh, news and sort of takes the top spot in our show is the infamous or famous Mary Meeker has released her 2015 Internet Trends 
And I have been reading this since the very, very beginning, and I know you have as well. And and this uh, comes to us courtesy of the website at Kleiner Perkins, um, Caulfield and Byers, and also from TechCrunch and just about every other news outlet on the planet covered this. Um, basically opening up with, if your life depends on technology, you should read this cover to cover, and there's plenty of places to read it. Um, it is really where the state of the internet is really the state of the union of the internet and the web and where business really is today. It is required reading for everybody who sort of makes their living or makes a business related to the internet. Um, there was a number of big takeaways for me this year, I, but before I jump into mine, Joe, I wanted to get, what what, did, what were some of the biggest takeaways for you from, from this year's internet trends? Look, well, I, to be honest, I would love to hear your trends because I hear you have dozens of them, and I would like <laughs> to hear well, every one of them. And we just started only, pouring through this we, thing, too. I mean, that's the that's the real story Well, we have here. less than an hour, and I don't think you're going to get all of them in. So no, just no. A, you know, a couple things that, that just hit me immediately was that desktop is just an afterthought. That will, will there won't even be a desktop in the next few years, of, of or very little importance. Everything is going mobile, so that sort of hit me right off the bat. Um, this whole idea of user generated content is just amazing with the amount of, and you, I mean, you have to go through the slides uh, to kind of see the impact of what's going on. But that how many people are creating you know, audio remixes and new videos and they're. Right. What's interesting to me, and just a, just a little side note into even plays into the Content Inc. stuff we were talking about, when you create a position of authority and you sort of the, are the go-to place, it's almost like, you know, and this, happen, this has happened to us, both you and I, as we've sort of built our credibility in content marketing, then there's this whole secondary avenue of marketing where people create their own content about you and about your thinking that takes your marketing to the next level. So I just think, you know, in kind of relating it to content marketing. Ah, really, that's a really interesting way to put it. It's almost yeah. like if you create your, I mean, it's, and I'm not saying this, this is not, I don't want to sound boastful at all. I'm just saying this is the way it is. So yesterday I'm going through my emails over the weekend and had something like nine or 10 requests for interviews. Sure. Like from all, you know, you get them all the time. We get, but it's interesting that once you create that position of expertise, then it's almost like you could just let it go and you don't have to create as much content because this whole other thing is going on about people creating content about you and about your thinking. So I just, that hit me when I was going through her, um, their detail about all the, the user generated content that was going on. And then I've got one more take on it, but before I do that, I wanted to sort of get, what are your one or two or three major takes that you take that you saw? Well, I, so I mean, the first thing I'll mention is to your to your mobile. I, you know, I continue, and 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 she doesn't break it out either. Um, I don't think anybody really ever has, and I don't even know that it's possible to do. But I continue to sort of we think of mobile. We need, what we one of the things that we need to do is actually get over the fact that mobile is always contained in a phone, right? We When we hear mobile, we think phone. And I think rather when we think of mobile, we need to start thinking of untethered. That's great. And so, yeah. and, 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 and it's an important point because when I carry my, you know, the difference between especially the new MacBook Air, as well as the iPad, as well as some of the large phablets that are out there, 
that's mobile that you know and i think it's being considered you know you may look at a you know the, the difference between a ipad and a and a and a air as being negligible sort of and and maybe the air qualifies as a quote unquote desktop because of the os that's involved here but really when we start to think about it it is really this idea of being untethered not not looking at our phone and that, and that is i think the real explosive growth of of mobile i mean my i have so many i mean i'm just starting to pour through this stuff but i think two of my big takeaways were one sort of as she does every year she talks about the population uh, of the internet and she says 2.8 billion people or 39% of the world's population is now on the internet and all of the sudden there's going to be you know 3 billion more people coming online in the next 5 to 10 years here and 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 I've talked about this when I do workshops and stuff which is this coming wave of people, especially from sub-Saharan Africa, from South America, from China, from India. And by the way, it's about in that order in terms of growth. India and China are not the fastest growers anymore. It's South America and and in sub-Saharan Africa in terms of who's coming online the fastest. This not only opens up new markets for us, but it also is going to be a huge competitive threat as well because there's going to be a lot of disruption and entrepreneurial class that that's going to emerge from that from those areas you know the next airbnb the next you know uber they may come from these parts of the world and as we get into the internet of things and 3d printing it's going to become a hugely disruptive and iterative time i think um the other thing that I'll, I'll notice that I really just loved this op, uh, observation, which is the idea of enterprise software letting you do things differently, not just faster. And having grown up in enterprise software, this was sort of always the value proposition of all enterprise software out there, which is how do we do things faster? You know, How do we manage websites faster? How do we manage our customer records faster? How do we manage databases and get data and analytics faster? And, and now – with you know things like Zenefits, you know which is insurance brokering and 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 doing you know manual background checks with other ones and and so they're reinventing the idea of enterprise software and letting you do handle things differently rather than just faster and I think that's a fascinating uh, trend for those in the B two B especially in the B two B software space and the last one I'll mention is how U.S. centric we tend to be here. And I, I'll it, totally admit to this, that I'm totally U.S. centric. And I love getting slapped in the head with sort of this idea like Xiaomi, which is a, a Chinese uh, relatively unknown technology company, puts out more smartphones than Apple, Samsung, or Lenovo. They are the, you know, one of the most valuable startups in the world that you've never heard of. They're a huge company. And I think as we start looking at companies like Alibaba and Xiaomi and, and, and these other companies that are going to be coming to the States and starting to participate in the global economy, we need to start paying attention to that, not only as businesses on the enterprise side, but also as startups as well, you know, because these are going to be the businesses that we do business with. So, I mean, and I've got yeah. many, many, many more, but but those are just some of the, the big ones that sort of leapt out at well, me. Well, just on the Chinese companies too, I mean, everybody thinks of Alibaba or Baidu, but... I've, the one that I've been paying attention to is Tencent, which I oh, think is... They're huge. I mean, I mean it's, it's unbelievable right. all the things that Tencent does. And it's only a matter of time before, you know, we, we get hit with that wave. 
you know, coming over here. It's going to be it's going to be interesting when you see the the ten cents of the world start to go against the Amazons and the. Well, you're yeah. already starting to see like Amazon and well, Alibaba. Alibaba. Yeah, I mean, when Alibaba gets here, and you know, I mean, there's. I think I was seeing somebody somebody talk about uh, Alibaba and the possibility of them sort of bringing the physical retailers into the network. You know, they don't carry any inventory the, the way they work. If they can sort of do to Amazon what Amazon did to retailers, that might mean a resurgence of physical retailers that are warehousing products and offering out products and same-day delivery and stuff like that. And you can see Amazon even starting to account for that in their same-day delivery services and some of the things they're doing. And they just did a whole relaunch of that, right? I mean, they, they yeah, came out exactly and said, look, right. we're, we're launching same-day delivery, Amazon that is. That's I just right. saw that a That's, couple days ago. Yeah. So. It's uh, super interesting on how that's going to go. Um, the last thing that I have that it just I thought was interesting was this whole thing on millennials, and it, it's it's funny when <laughs> right. when you hear when I go to presentations and people talk about millennials. For the most part, they say it's like oh, it's growing and it's you know it's going to be important and you need to pay attention to it. So I was at BMA fifteen last week, and um, one of the representatives of Google were was they were going over their research, which really talks to this research as well. And they said that forty six percent of business to business decision makers are now in the millennial class area or that area, yeah. that time area. And I'm like, so so it's the largest the largest decision making group that you have as a B two B company are millennials. Which just I so- can attest to it. I mean I can attest to it. I mean when we walk into businesses these days it is common that when we're coming in in an advisory capacity or we're coming in as a consulting capacity or even workshops, the people that are managing teams these days are increasingly in that, you know, in, in that age group. And they're, you know, they're, they're, yeah, yeah. the same as the people come into content marketing world. It's that's, that's, that's right. sort of our, our core. The one thing that got me, and so this is the, this is the content marketing opportunity, I think. So when they asked, you know, young I think this was global. So young global workers, what their two biggest benefits are for working with somebody outside of the fact there's all this kind of, you know, like I think the 34% of the workforce, she said U.S. workforce was freelance now, which is crazy. But the one thing I thought, so the two biggest benefits for workers were one, training education, two, flexible hours. So when I yeah. saw the training and education, <laughs> that's <laughs> right. where that's where I think the opportunity. Did you have a little moment, Joe? Did, you, did like, you have like a little uh, oh, moment? Well, you should have had a moment because you're overseeing <laughs> our training program. But the the in- I always have moments. I, I have many moments. But what the interesting for My every life is a moment. But, <laughs> but for everyone listening to this, that's a huge opportunity. I mean, I think it was last year we had Schneider Electric present yeah. at Content Marketing World on their amazing training program and how much ROI that they've been seeing and how many people come in as you know possible leads and then turn in as, as customers just from taking their, their education. So it's not just a, hey, here's an employee, let's get them training and education. I think this is a customer training and education opportunity because this group of people is looking specifically for that. So... Opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I have a whole thing on the disruption of education, but I won't bore everybody with that today. That's yeah. It's, we should, it's maybe a, we should it's, do it's an a addendum, PN, a PNR addendum. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. To, here, here's two hours if you have two hours to kill. Here's a Robert. <laughs> yeah, if, if you want to go to sleep, if you're no. looking for something Just that play a little Eagles like in the an ambient but is like audio that. in nature, you can you can listen to Robert talk about the disruption of, of education. Robert Rose and the disruption <laughs> of education. <laughs> Make calls. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Let's move yeah. along here. 
Um, oh, I, I want to, I do, I have to mention this because I, I, one of the things that made me like really super happy with Mary Meeker's report was she talked about the bubble. Um, and there's with all the talk of sort of being, oh, we're in another tech bubble, we're in another tech bubble. And she notes that the public and private financing of technology companies, it's only around 60 or so percent of what it was during the dot com era. And meanwhile, the NASDAQ has already hit some of those same levels. And only about $32 billion has been invested thus far in 2015. So we're starting to even see some of the slowdown. So I don't think we're going to have the big pop um, like we did in, uh, in the early 2000s. I certainly hope um, not. Yeah. Well, I like it. I like, I like my job. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to our next story, which is really, I mean, in thematic sort of uh, a continuation of what we started at the beginning of the show, this comes to us from founderdating.com, what startups need to know about content marketing. This opens up an interview with Sunil Rajaraman, um, who knows the power of words. He's the founder and CEO of Scripted, which is, of course, a platform that helps businesses outsource content to freelance writers and whatnot. Um, He's also an advisor at Hired and Shared Desk. And basically, this is an interview with him where he talks about some of the things that he, he would have liked to have known and, and, and basically would recommend to other founders as they start to, to the, their startup business around content marketing. So you're the Content Inc. guy. What did you think about this? Well, th- there's of course, there's a couple statements in here that I love because as I've been going on with my now Content Inc. tour and starting to talk and give that presentation versus what I was given the Epic Content Marketing presentation, it's all about patience. And the, the line right at the beginning that Sunil talks about is content marketing is like a diet or exercise program. You only see results if you do it for a prolonged period of time. And I right. love that. And I wish everybody who does content marketing would have that posted somewhere uh, by their desk because we can't read that enough. And as we as we go into the research for Content Inc. and as we talked with countless entrepreneurs and startups about how they did that, it looked like the average was about 15 to 17 months before monetization. So it's not a quick fix. And that's what I loved about you know this article. And he even goes on to say, look, you know, before Marketo even had a, um, a product, the founder was blogging about the process, about you know that's creating right. an audience about this. And I think that is just you know so critical. And uh, well, you look at I mean, you look at what Darmesh and Brian did with HubSpot. Exactly. Right? I mean, they were, you know, they wrote a book and created a blog well before the the sort of category of inbound marketing was even a glint in anybody's eye. You know, they were out there basically evangelizing this whole new process before HubSpot was really sort of even born. Um, you know, and it, and of course they were working feverishly behind the scenes to launch this awesome new product, but they were, you know, the, the content preceded the approach preceded the product. Well, that's the whole thing. And, and I, nothing against Peter Thiel. And so Peter Thiel, for those that don't know, you know, he's the co-founder of PayPal and he was the first outside investor at, at Facebook. And if you watch the movie on Facebook, you know, he's in that movie, not Peter Thiel, but Peter Thiel character. So he's in that. And he wrote a book called zero to one, which is a really good book for startups, except that I totally disagreed with the premise of the book, which was, Hey, all you need to do is create a product that's so incredibly different than everyone else that solves a problem that no one else is solving. And you've got something Right. The only pro- right. Yeah, easier Let me know how that works done. out for you. The only yeah, yeah, the problem with that is is that the majority of companies go out there and do that and fail. So, is there a better right. way? And that's the whole idea behind this article and Content Inc and the other stuff that we're talking about is it is a much less risky path 
Hence, but it is you have to be patient. But it's much less risky to first build an audience and to build a loyal relationship with some readership. And then when you get to you know um, that that minimum viable audience, as Brian Clark talks about all the time, then you can monetize that, sell products, services, do whatever after the fact. That's the whole idea of Content Inc. And sure. that's what I, I love. This it's whole looking thing. at yeah. con- it's a different investment model. I mean, this is the thing that I've been working on for the last couple of months for coming up to content marketing world, which is content marketing is a different investment model. If you look at it the same way that you're investing in campaign-based marketing, you lose. You will lose because you will not be able to measure it as well as you might. But if you start to look at content development as and like a product development methodology, you will change the way that you look at the investment model on it. You will ultimately get to, whether you like Brian Clark's minimum viable audience or you know the, the idea of creating a content product that will build value over time, that's the real that's the real key there. It's it's just a different way to go about it, and it doesn't mean you know I I, I love what he said here with the idea of it being you know an exercise or a fitness plan, but that doesn't mean that on day three hundred and sixty five you suddenly magically wake up and you're you know thirty pounds lighter and have you know six pack abs. You've built that over time, so it's not that you have to wait three hundred and sixty five days and then all of a sudden on the three hundred and sixty sixth it starts to add value. You're building value, increasing value over time. So you know as you get up to day 363, 364, 365, you've, you're already seeing the benefits, maybe just not as much. And then by the way, if you keep up with it, it's not that you launch it on day 365 and then it's over. You build value, increasing value even more over time. And so it becomes sort of a lifestyle or it's an a, annuity. a business choice. An annuity is exactly it's right. So annuity. it builds value and theoretically increases value over time. It's a different way to look at it. And, and the last thing that I'll say, great point. And, and to that point, you are – your track that you're overseeing a content marketing world really takes that approach, doesn't it, about building sort of the, the product roadmap mindset for that's measurement? Right. That's right. Yeah, so that's, that's right. where certainly, you- certainly my my sort of kickoff to the track at, at content marketing world will will have that, and then we'll get into some of the actual granular tactics of measuring with some of the wonderful speakers, including Jay Kunzo and um, and Andy Crestadina and Paul Retzer, um, who will sort of bring it and contextualize it and make it you know talk about what's really real. You know, the last thing I'll say, and this is, you know, when I was at Authority uh, Conference and watched Ann Hanley speak, it's always enjoyable watching Ann because I always get a couple tidbits, but she just basically said, you know, with all this video and social media and everything going on, writing has never been more important, and I totally agree with her, and that's exactly what Sunil says in this one or in the, the article uh, yeah. here. It basically says, you know, learn to write, do the writing, um, focus on that as a skill area, and I think that it's just so critical, especially from a, getting your thoughts in order and getting some coherence to what you're talking about. But I, I really believe that if you are not writing, wherever you're at in the organization, whether you're on the marketing side, PR side, uh, whether you are a founder, uh, you need to get into the process of writing. And I think that's more critical than ever. And I think some people have forgotten that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, moving on to our next story of our show, and this one comes to us courtesy of Search Engine Land, and the headline is, Changing How Quality is Assessed Results in Ranking Shakeup. Oh my gosh, Google is at it yet again. 
And the article opens by saying that earlier this month, some publishers began noticing changes to Google search results. Well, what else is new, folks? Shock. There's gambling going on in the casino. We asked Google if this is due to a panda update or any other sort of farm animal menagerie update, um, as they might do. They don't. The article doesn't say that, by the way. I call it the farm animal menagerie update. Um, but Google replied, uh, no. Like, they're going to go, oh, sure, yeah, here's how it works. <laughs> but... Anyway, since then, more reports have come in with the change, and it's even being dubbed the Phantom Update, um, because something did seem to have happened, even if Google wasn't acknowledging it. Now, this, I think, is really interesting for a couple of reasons. One is the fact that Google's either being coy about it or that it didn't really happen, and we're starting to see pattern changes even when they're not there. And so <laughs> one thing that fascinates me here is, is that we're, are we going to start seeing Google go, uh, no, don't pay any attention to that man behind the curtain. We're just doing our thing over here. Or are we starting to see false patterns here um, in this? Regardless, what it means is, yet again, we're focused on quality of content um, and really the, the, not the quantity of it. And so this becomes – if you're looking for yet another business case, another reason to sort of talk to your boss or talk to your colleagues about reducing the quantity and increasing the quality, here is yet another bullet point for your PowerPoint. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. I don't necessarily have a take on it. We've talked about this almost – seems like almost every show just about the fact that Yes, you should have focus on SEO and the keywords, and you need to do all the blocking and tackling, which, by the way, most companies aren't doing. It's amazing, and in talking with Arnie, you know, good, our good friend Arnie Ken, when I see him present, he gives all these case studies about how many people don't even go into Webmaster Tools and figure out that they've got penalties against them, and they just right. don't. They just exactly right. they just don't do it. So, you know, you should do that. Check to see if you've got penalties, and you should have you know keyword phrases that you're you're tackling and going after. Um, you know, we have a rolling list at CMI of 50 that we focus on, but we don't do it. We do it because Google's important. We get a good portion of our traffic to them, but it's never about fixing it or doing something to, um, you, there's no gray hat, black hat, anything like that anymore. It's just good old fashioned quality content targeted to a specific audience. And if you focus on that, you're, you're probably going to be fine. Oh, and here's the one thing I'll I'll take away from this, and and hopefully it's a takeaway for the audience as well, which is when I read the part, you know, and I like Search Engine Land a lot, by the way, and 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 when they they write here, they say this is a quote from the article: Google wouldn't provide specifics about how the quality is now assessed, but we know from past statements that Google is a quality for a particular page is determined by a wide range of individual factors. All right, well, there's nothing really informative there, but. It says it could be that Google is now weighting some of those factors more and others less, like, and then it goes on to talk about how they've really targeted things like how-to articles and FAQs as sort of sort of content that doesn't really sort of add a lot of value because it's there's so much of it out there. And I think that's a really key thing because as we start to think about content, it becomes really easy for us to think of content marketing to say, oh, great, we'll just answer every how-to question and we'll just stick it up in a blog post and it'll be there. And if you can stick your 
your competitor's logo or any other logo at the That's top of your how-to pages, then it's not going to be content that differentiates you. And I would dare say it's not quality content. And so when you're thinking about how-tos or utility content, as Jay Bear would say, content so great you'd pay for it, you need to start to think about how it has an original point of view. What what are you bringing to the table that no other of your competitors and no other of your content competitors are going to bring to that table? Because simply spewing facts is not going to get you the quality content index up, I would argue. We could do, we should do a whole show just on that because you and I get into so many conversations about, hey, this is a great piece of content. And I, I always go, what's the point of view? What's the point of right. view and what's the, exactly. what's the outcome that you want for the audience? What do you, are you trying to help them get a better job, live a better life? What is it? You know, those two things are critical. And if you're just saying, hey, we, you know, we, we need to cover every one of these things with an FAQ or a, well, how is this or what is that or what, you know, I think that that's substandard content today. And what's scary is if you did that five years ago, you're rocking it. Oh, of course. It's, Especially in industries that, that weren't covered very well, right? If you were in a niche manufacturing industry or something where there wasn't a ton of coverage, going out and answering every question that your customers would ever have and simply providing the facts, you know, the factual answer, because basically having your website become the Wikipedia of your particular industry was probably a good idea. But I dare say most of those those sites now are seeing decreasing returns over time because there's nothing – basically, if, you're, if your content could be stuck into Google Graph, in other words, answered on the very first page in that box that you now see at the top of Google results, I, I dare say you're going to start to see – declining results over that content over time because there's just no reason for people to click through to it. They can find the answer on the front page of Google or on Wikipedia or on some other million sites that are out there trying to trying to answer that same question. Well, and don't get me started with instant answers. That, that thing is just because I I did that I just I did that in the CMI newsletter where I talked about you can't trust Google and it's because of as more and more you go to the search engine results page, you see Google basically pulling the text out of some article that they deem as valuable and it's there like if it, it you know how you say oh how old is barack obama and it's there like you don't go to a page right. it just That's tells exactly you right. it tells you the weather today it tells you everything where google flight information right google is yeah, be- restaurant ratings well google yeah so google shoot and then what's so funny is they bought zagat years ago and people were wondering sure. how that was going to work well here you go google's creating their is. own content and they're putting it right up there and then they're taking content from you so, anyways, don't get me started on the Google rant on there. The Google, I, the Google. Don't get me the Google, started on the Google. The Googling. The, the Googling. The Google. The Google tube. Our last show story is from eMarketer.com, and the headline is "How Automation Will Change Content Native Ads." Ding, 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 ding. Drink your shots. There you go. First, uh, we're I don't know, thirty-three minutes into the show, and we're finally good. getting our first mention of native advertising. That's got to be some sort of it's achievement. a record. Um, uh, achievement unlocked. All right. So the article opens up by saying content marketing and native advertising are each set to see strong gains in the near future. Uh, April 2015 research from PulsePoint and Digiday found that the growth rates for both of them are going to outpace other formats in the next two years. Well, I suppose that's good news for our job security, Joe. Um, But first, marketers are going to have to deal with hurdles evolving efficiency, measurement, targeting. Wow. Here's three big ones, um, which the rise of automation technology could help resolve. Womp, 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 womp. That's where it sort of lost it for me. Anyway, they go through the rest of this study and start talking about how 
uh, automation is going to change the game here. Did you have a take on this article? Did you have? Did, did you come away with anything? Oh, it lost me too on the programmatic tools thing. I mean, they, it was doing so well. I was really digging the article, and then I got to the whole right. thing about programmatic. But what I did like in the research, and you and I talked about this. So from Digiday and PulsePoint, they explain. In quotes, content marketing is the overarching strategy. Native is one tactic of execution. Content marketing is the message. Native can be the envelope it is delivered in, in one case or another. I, I sort of dug that. What do you think about that? You, there was much rejoicing. I like that. That's instead of instead of really. I mean, I think it's a really good way to look at it. Yeah, it's 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 a wonderful way to phrase it. I I've liked that very very much. I I like the way that the the that whole sort of part of the article framed that discussion. I just wish they'd stayed away from sort of the programmatic thing. I just think I think programmatic in advertising, by the way, is is you know basically it's a little like SEO. If you're the first firm to use technology to put a programmatic element behind your media buying ads, you will see an immediate jump. You know, maybe you go from 40% effectiveness to 80% effectiveness, and then just the nature of an algorithm, you're going to flatten out. You have to. You're, basically, your results are going to flatten out over time as you start to approach 100%. And that's the real key when you start to think about algorithms. It's great for getting from zero to 50. It's like a great, you know, accelerant. And then it will absolutely flatten out because you just, it just has to. You will become less effective over time. And that, to me, is always going to lead us back to not how the ad was programmatically placed in front of some user's eyeball, but rather what's in the ad, what kind of, you know, what kind of creative are you creating, what story are you telling, and that to me, the, the bigger and more interesting the content, the more and more it's going to rely on its quality, and so that's just something technology will never So, so here's my question, because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get my handle around this programmatic thing. If you do native advertising, you do content around that content-driven approach in programmatic, and you want it to work, then you have to target almost the exact same type of audience for that to work. And because that's the case, and there really are, I mean, every, every site that you're doing this has a different audience, it's almost impossible to scale then. Is that correct? Would you agree with that? Well, here's what I was. Well, yes and no. I mean, so it it, it 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 you know obviously this depends on how wide and broad your audience is, right? So if I'm targeting, you know, women, you know, twenty to thirty five um, who read particular sets of publications, and I've got you know a hundred and fifty magazines or a hundred and fifty websites that I could be placing media on, a programmatic sort of idea of optimizing ad display based on behaviors on multiple websites is a, is a way to draw effectiveness down um, and get my basically get my efficiency up. In other words, make my ad buy more efficient. This is, by the way, uh, quite frankly, the one of the biggest values that you see coming out of what Julie Fleischer and her team at Kraft are doing with by pulling in and owning that data to begin with. 
So instead of depending on an agency and or a research company to provide them the data in order to programmatically serve up advertising, she's actually assembling it herself and now has better data than any other company out there that she could actually buy that data from. So that saves her all sorts of money on buying the data that will be used to serve up programmatic advertising. But conversely, she can make uh, you know a much better advertising decision for her brand managers who are going to be putting banner ads out and by the way uh, ultimately TV ads and uh, otherwise i just so for banner ads for ad units when we think of an ad unit i think it's a great strategy where it loses me is when we start talking about the placement of content that's because what I'm talking then about, we yeah. start talking about the content as ad unit and i just don't think that's the way to think about it no but i that's what i'm saying like if you were if it's if it's content, let's say it's in stream content. Don't think of it as an ad unit, but let's say you're okay, programmatically yeah, sure. going because this is what's happening, right? You're programmatically going to deliver content to, di- and I know how they're doing. And you could, there's there's all different ways you can do it inside units, and now that's it's getting outside units. I think what sure, we're talking yeah, about yeah. here is inside unit, but I don't think I don't know what the future of that's going to be. If it's in stream content, it has to be so focused on the audience. That it's almost impossible to scale that programmatically. Absolutely, yeah, I would totally agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I could see how you can do it with ad, and and that makes perfect sense to me. It automates basically. It automates publishing and syndication. It doesn't automate creation and and yes. quality, right? And so that's the what that's what you're really getting at is how do I actually scale quality? That and programmatic is not going to do that. Boy, if you could scale quality, yeah, I got something to sell you. <laughs> right now. <laughs> Speaking of scaling quality, we have a quality sponsor we should talk about. We have a new sponsor. Uh, well, new of course, sponsor. of course, it's uh, it's an old it's an old sponsor. It's a new sponsor. We love the folks folks at Citrix Go to Webinar. Um, content marketers use it all the time. I know, I know. Content marketers who are finding continued success with webinars are broadening the scope of how they use them. And did you know? Robert, that a good content marketing strategy begins with a powerful story. I don't know if you knew that. I've heard something about that, yes. And that marketers are finding <laughs> success using webinars. To he- I have heard that, to, too. Yep, to help them tell that story across the buyer's journey, the entirety of the buyer's journey. And this is what amazes me. Citrix GoToWebinar is giving us a piece of content from some person named Robert oh, Rose. Lord. no. Chief, uh, it's not true. Chief Strategy Officer, Content Marketing <laughs> Institute. Now I'm, I'm thinking that nobody's going to download this thing. But no, it is a. Here's what I was. Now well, I'm literally, happy. I'm going through this again, and I'm like, seriously, like Robert, how Like, is that all you do? Are you just writing briefs all day long? Like, you wake up in your briefs, starting on briefs. I mean, it's, it's that's like kinda, that's kind of it. That's kind of what yeah, you do. That's kind of. But yeah. in your in this brief uh, from, of course, Robert Rose. You explore how and why content marketers are expanding the use of webinars across every stage of the buyer's journey. And in all seriousness, it's a pretty good piece of content (laughs) because uh, most people just use them at the very, you know, I don't think everyone thinks about how to use webinars at each stage. And that's what I like when you kind of go through this and, uh, and focus on the stages of the buyer's journey. You can go to. Go to webinar.com slash CMI, all caps. Go, all caps. All caps. Go to webinar.com slash CMI, all caps, to download the brief, and you will learn 
why you should broaden the scope of your webinar usage, best practices for approaching content by purpose, and how to map webinars across the entirety of the buyer's journey. And I knew when entirety was used, I knew that was you love the word entirety. <laughs> I do. You, you use it I all do. the time. So I'm and like, you this know, is take the take the point of view for what it's worth. But this was a research study we did a while back. Um, well, not that long ago. I guess it was just a few months ago that we actually did the did the actual research and came up with some pretty interesting results out of that. And so I think there's some real opportunities for webinars where, where they haven't been used before as a, as a, as a method of content marketing delivery. And I think it's a, it's really the, the results were quite surprising to me. So I think I'm, I'm super glad that Citrix is, is, uh, is really promoting this because it's a, it, 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 the research study itself is really interesting. Take the point of view that comes with it with a grain of salt. Well, thanks. So thanks to the folks who go to webinar for being our, this old marketing sponsor this week, and uh, we'll be, of course, promoting this in the weeks to come. But uh, go to webinar.com slash CMI, all caps. Fantastic. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for your favorite part of the show. This is our rants and raves section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave, something that makes us feel bellicose and bletcherous and something else that might make us feel like it's efficacious and wonderful and effervescent. All sorts of wonderful spelling words. By the way, all those spelling words that I mentioned in the beginning of the show, those are all like eighth grade spelling words. And I was like, man, that is, that's, that's, that, those are hard. I'd never make it. (laughs) So uh, let's see. I guess uh, I have this old marketing, so you're going first. No, no, no. no. You go first. I go second. You go first. Oh, that's right. I go first. We still, we never can get that right. You're going first. I go second. I'm big dope. (laughs) All right. I have a very, very short rave uh, this week. Hi, Nanad. It's a rave. Um, and so uh, I have a rave this week, and, and I want to talk about this wonderful piece of content that I saw. So first of all, just sort of to contextualize this, quite literally in the last 60 days, I've had two, three friends email me personally because they know that I'm into content marketing. They know I'm into this thing. And they said, I just want you to know that this is the way I got my new job. And one guy emailed me and said, I have been, I wrote a few white papers and I sort of used that as my calling card into this company that I wanted to work for. And guess what? I just got hired. Another person emailed me and said, I have been writing all these articles and I sort of used it as my portfolio and sent it in for this content marketing job that was being advertised. And I actually differentiated myself with all this wonderful content that I created. And then somebody else actually emailed me and said, I've been creating my blog for the last six months. Um, and this was a millennial, by the way. And she was like, I've been writing this blog. And it was on a topic that I was super passionate about and super, but had nothing to do with the sort of market that I was going to find myself in. And basically, they called this other company, called me up out of the blue, had seen my blog uh, based on some links that got shared around the office. And now I'm getting offered a job in, in, in their marketing group. And I'm just super happy about it. And so, We very rarely talk about it, but here's content marketing working for people, for individuals managing their career. And I just wanted to sort of cap it with this article that it's on the today.com website, but it's also being covered on a bunch of other news, which is this woman, Shelby Mitchison, who made a video. um, And you know, there's the the song um, by Eminem. which is Lose Yourself, which is a wonderful, wonderful song. So she wanted a job doing sign language. 
Um, and she was trying to get a job with Austin City Limits, another organization that I absolutely love, Austin City Limits, which plays all the concerts and, and is really known for their music performances. And she really wanted a job doing the ASL, American Sign Language, um, for Austin City Limits. So she put out a video of her doing sign language to Eminem's Lose Yourself. If you have not seen it's this, wonderful. Folks, it is absolutely captivating and wonderful. And she got the job. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful story of how content is actually helping somebody navigate their career and something that I just think is super, super swell and I wanted to rave about it. It's worth watching. So we'll we'll uh, embed it into the show notes. If you can, but actually, you know, you can find it anywhere. Um, just go to the Lose Yourself uh, Sign Language uh, search in our good friend Google yeah. and you'll find it. But you know what I love about this the too? The Googling. The Googling. <laughs> That's what Andrew Googling. Davis calls it. The Googling. The Googling. The Googling. Um, the one thing that I do, and I might, we might have talked about this before 10 weeks or, or so ago, but when we, when we did the event Media CLE, which was targeted to students, we had a number. So we talked about how you build a media company, and we had a lot of smart people talk there. The had one person come up to us afterwards and said, you know, ultimately, how do I go find a job? How do I use this to find a job? And I basically said, look, pick the niche that you feel you can, you have an expert point of view about and go build an audience. I don't care how big, show somebody that you can build an audience and I guarantee you somebody will hire you. Because if you could do all the... You heard that, folks. Joe is guaranteeing, guaranteeing you a job. You will fi- guaranteeing There's you a no job. doubt. If you go in, to, <laughs> if you go in for a job and, and you say, you know, you're in a, your job interview and you're trying to figure this thing out and you go in and you say, look, here's what I've done. You know, I, here's our audience we were targeting. Here's the type of content development. Here's our editorial calendar. Here's how we build a subscriber database. All this stuff, somebody's going to hire you. <laughs> There's no doubt. Nice. If you do it, it will, it will happen. If you build it. He will come. They will come. He will come. Ease his pain. <laughs> Go the distance. <laughs> Sorry. I just watched Field of Dreams. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyways, my um, I have a rave. Uh, you know, we, we, we got a little bit of backlash, just a little bit last week because we were so negative. It was probably me. I was in a punchy mood last week. But I have a rave this week. So I was at uh, business marketing. Now we're gonna get. Now we're gonna get the backlash. You guys are a bunch of. I know like, we don't sissies. Right? We don't rant enough. Everybody right. likes our ranting. Okay, I got this is a rave. This is a good one. Um, so real quick, I was at business marketing association meeting last week, and a lot of really good uh, presenters. So John Bell was presenting, and John leads uh, enterprise digital. He's VP of enterprise digital at Travelers Insurance, and he was giving his great presentation on how you build in an editorial organization into the culture. Um, so it was a really interesting um, presentation. John did a great job. But what I really liked about it is he said he is now staffing by hiring editors and journalists from the publishing side, which we've talked about you know, ad nauseum at times. But he's doing it. So he has a head of content marketing, which I love that title. So he hired his head of content marketing, was former, and I don't know if it was the lead editor, a lead editor, or the chief editor at CIO Magazine. But basically, you know, wow. went and recruited from CIO Magazine, brought that person over into Traveler's Insurance, and is starting to build in uh, the idea of, you know, storytelling, journalistic principles into the type of content that they're creating at Traveler's Insurance Company. Just wanted to shout out to John and what he's doing over there. Uh, I had pleasure of having dinner with him afterwards, talked to him a little bit more. Uh, about what he's doing and and just think that that you know if you are struggling in your organization with staffing and you're you know you're trying to employ and execute a content marketing strategy and you're hiring marketers solely you you could have a problem 
because most marketers are really bad storytellers. So I would, I would, and I could say that because I'm a marketer. So I would, I would, <laughs> I would say that what John's doing is, I mean, it's not as cutting edge because we've heard of obviously Qualcomm hired a USA Today editor not so long ago. Uh, GE, or Starbucks, GE, yeah, yeah, exactly, Starbucks, and what they're doing. Uh, over there with their media program. It's happening over and over again, and I think you're going to see more and more of this. And I think the future of the journalism profession is that you're going to see this on the brand side. You're going to have to, and you're seeing it now, and John's a good case study for that. Absolutely. I love that. I absolutely love that. All right. Well, let's see here. We have this old marketing to talk about, um, our namesake of the show. And this uh, this show is actually interesting because – we're going to cover a company uh, that we've covered before, but it's a different, a whole different thing, a different brand, a different, actually a different company at that at that point. But then, um, of course, is the same company. This is Johnson and Johnson, and of course, we covered them at the beginning of this year with their modern methods of antiseptic wound treatment in the 1800s. And at the time, we were talking about this being one of the oldest examples um, of content marketing, where it was aimed at doctors to whom it sold bandages, um, and also. Uh, they launched two publications, which were the Red Cross Notes and the Red Cross Messenger. So going back to January for that uh, for that particular uh, this old marketing, but this one, I happened to be uh, watching this Sunday uh, CBS Sunday Morning, which I love that show, um, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful show. It's lots and lots of really great feel good stories, actually, which is which is nice. And they were telling the story of Band Aid. Um, and I didn't know this. I was just fascinated by, by this. But Band-Aid was invented in 1920 um, by a guy by the name of Earl Dixon, who was a cotton buyer for Johnson & Johnson. And he invented the Band-Aid because his wife, Josephine, was, I guess, really prone to injury um, in when she was in the kitchen. So um, I've usually, by the way, avoided injury um, by avoiding all of those chores, but that's a whole other story. Anyway, he found it really difficult and cumbersome to continue to use all this cotton that he was wearing and then rolling out the bandage to wrap up Josephine's, uh, his wife's cuts. So he was looking for an easier way to do this. And so he created this idea of segmented bandages that already had the cotton built into it, or what we kind of know today as the Band-Aid. They rolled it out and basically, it was a huge flop. They just it just flopped and didn't do anything. Nobody understood it. Didn't work. Basically, couldn't. It wasn't marketed at all. They only sold three thousand dollars worth of band aids in the first year. So they basically retooled their entire marketing strategy, and they basically decided that their main personas were families and mainly moms that were uh, trying to, you know, obviously basically put, you know, stitches and band-aids on their kids when when they would go out and play. So they started giving it away. Now that itself is not necessarily content marketing, but here's what I then learned by doing a little digging. I actually learned that Johnson and Johnson had already at that point invented this thing called the first aid kit. And they were giving away this experience called the first aid kit directed at different personas. And inside the first aid kit was all sorts of things, some of which they made, some of which they didn't. They were they did books. Um, they did like how-tos and instructions and basically how to dress wounds. And it was really built for families. Then they started doing it for verticals, right? They built a first aid kit for the railroad guys who were out there building the railroads. They built a, spe- a, a special first aid kit for families. And then the one I loved was they actually built a first aid kit specifically specifically for the Boy Scouts. And the Boy Scouts went out with this first aid kit, and that became their official uh, first aid kit with all of the different instructions and how to dress things. And what Band-Aid then did was to give away 
these Band-Aids inside these kits and gave it away to the actual Boy Scouts along with all of the instructions on how to use them and how to become a Boy Scout by being able to dress a wound if you were out there doing it. By doing that, then they actually gave it away again uh, during the during the war, and it ultimately became. And what I love about this is that Band Aid is now sort of the recognized generic, right? It is the Xerox and the Kleenex of sort of the portable bandage. And then they started to create another book, which they actually went to doctors with, which uh, was a book called, uh, let's see, it was The Professional Medical Uses of Adhesive Tape, so very B2B title. But they actually created this instructional manual of how to use these things for doctors itself, so how doctors could start to use Band-Aids. That, of course, exploded the sales of Band-Aids, and it has now become something where I think they've said – Two billion Band-Aids were sold uh, last year, and it is certainly the absolute standard of bandages these days, and, and a, I think just a wonderful example of this old market. That's a great story. I love I love all that stuff because we, we, it's been so long that we've forgotten the history of some of this stuff, or maybe we never knew it. So you have, it's again— just wonderful. And the links we'll put in the show notes talk—we'll have two links in the show notes. One is sort of the history of Johnson & Johnson and the creation of the first aid kits, and then the second is sort of the history of Band-Aid, which is also just—to me, it was fascinating. I don't know what we would do without you, Robert. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I personally—I thank you for letting me know what— this history of oh, i mean i'm getting history lessons gracious. from you every oh, week i just gosh. can't oh, dear. <laughs> it's getting i'm so oh. sorry i'm so tired i'm like it's so punchy i am go to norway exactly <laughs> exactly no this is uh, Where you? so you're going to norway and then what i mean you're home at the end of the week yeah, or so how's that I, yeah out? so going to oslo i've got uh and i was a morning keynote now it's an afternoon keynote then i've got a workshop the next day i think i've got a couple dinners in there or something you know how that goes so that'll be super fun a lot of, a lot of really good friends will be there uh, especially our friends from denmark i know there's yuska bank's going to be over there you got jesper and joe kim's going to be over there so it's it's all good uh, good stuff and then i come back and i'm that's this watch is, out for the guy named hamlet <laughs> here he's in in denmark as a as a danish guy here he's he's got a chip on his shoulder um and then i'm back uh, I've got only one small trip, at, but that's, this is my last major event for the summer. And then I put wow. the yeah put the pool up this weekend, although it's freezing nice. in Cleveland right there now again. Um, so uh, we painted the lines on the basketball court, there so we're getting is. ready uh, for summer. How about yourself? I am off tomorrow morning. I fly tomorrow morning to Pittsburgh, and then I drive two and a half hours east of Pittsburgh to a lovely town called Altoona, Pennsylvania, where I'm actually going to be visiting with uh, a client out there and talking through content marketing for their team. And then I jump right back on a plane and go from Pittsburgh to Boston, where I'll be meeting with the lovely folks at Lionbridge, actually, um, to talk with them a little bit about content marketing and all of the stuff that's going on there. And then I'm home for the weekend, which is nice. Um, and, uh, and, and that's it. Yeah. For the week. Altoona is actually a very nice city. It's only, I've never been there. Only, so I'm, 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 I'm oddly excited to go. It's an hour or less oh, from uh, state college tomorrow. I got my graduate yeah, study. Yeah, exactly. So there yeah. you go. And my wife, that's my wife's so alma, uh, alma mater as well. Beautiful. See, I knew I loved her for a reason. Yeah, see, there see, you go. There you go. There you go. All right, folks, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And, you know, tweet us up. Thank you so much, by the way, for the, all the hashtag support out there on Twitter. Hashtag this old marketing. You know, follow it. Look at it. Love it. Learn it. We love it. We love all those story ideas. Or, you know, if you've got a question, just send an email. This old marketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 81, do consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher.com. 
All the links that we talked about in today's show will be available at thisoldmarketing.com and our show notes page. And we do hope you'll tune in next week when we're going to hear Joe say, well, a good goat would do that. Remember, folks, it's your story. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.